This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Voyage Through Time. And the author is Margot Young, and Margot joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Margot. Hello. Well, good How to, are you today? Good to have you with us. Uh, we're excited to talk about A Voyage Through Time because this is a story of your life. And I want to just share a few general comments that you have written about your book. Uh, you say that... You believe many people will enjoy reading the story of a young immigrant who landed all by herself in New York towards the end of the Great Depression and with determination and persistence worked herself up. It not only contains a great love story, but a life of learning, cooperation, and success, plus a view of the world through extensive travels. One other thing I want to read. This is right out of the... uh, early part of your book, you say this. So this is my story, the story of how a plucky 18-year-old made her way out of pre-war Germany because she saw the shadow of the Nazi before she felt their presence and because she heard their goose steps trampling her middle-class comfort before their boots actually bore down on her. So obviously you've had some dramatic things happen in your life. You've had a very full life. You're 88 years of age, and we salute you and congratulate you for writing your story, Margot. Well, thank you. But now I'm 90. Oh, you're 90. <laughs> okay. All so right. I had my 90th birthday a few weeks ago. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Now, let's go back. Let's go all the way back to uh, pre-war Germany. When did you first really understand who Adolf Hitler was and his plan for the Jews? Well, I under, I knew about it because I was very active in Jewish organizations, but I really got perfectly aware of it when I read the book Mein Kampf, in which he described how he wanted to get rid of all the Jews that lived in Germany, as we learned later all over Europe. Now, how old were you when you read Mein Kampf? I was 15 years old when I read it, and I made up my mind at that time that there really was no place to stay in Germany with all the comfort that I had. And I went around to my parents and my grandparents and told them that we have to get out. And they looked at this 15-year-old and they said, ah, what does she know? There will be another regime like so many others before it, and let's forget about it. But I was persistent, and I arranged for my immigration to America. So it took you till you were 18 to get everything necessary for you to come to uh, New York. That is correct. I made all the arrangements while I was still 17, and I left just a few weeks after my 18th birthday. And in what year was that? That was 1938. So in 1938, you arrived in uh, New York City, and you were all by yourself, all alone. That must have been quite a uh, 
I don't know what to say. You must have had a lot of feelings. You may have been a little concerned, afraid of the future, of how you were going to do everything. How did you start day one in, you know, your new life in New York? Well, I considered this a great adventure. I had $125 in my pocket, which is all that I could take out of Germany at that time. And I said to myself, I'll find myself a hotel for a night or two, and then I'm going to look for a job, and I'm sure I can support myself. And actually, I did. I started out as a sleeping housemaid. I graduated from there to factory job. I went to night school and improved my English, which wasn't too good, although I learned it in school. And I worked myself up because I was determined to make a good life for myself. Now, you were instrumental in getting your family out of Germany as well. Tell us about that. Well, I went to a, an organization and told them my father and mother and my younger sister had escaped to London, England, about a year after I left Germany. But I was afraid that war would break out and I would never see them again. So I went to an organization and told them that I had to find papers for them to come over. And some strangers really arranged that I got the necessary papers for them to get to America. And they arrived with the last convoy before the outbreak of the Second World War, covering the ocean from from, uh, England to Canada and then by train to New York. That must have been quite a reunion. It certainly was. I was so happy to see them. And my little sister was 14 at the time. And unfortunately, they didn't stay long in New York because it was still the end of the Depression. Uh, My father couldn't find any work, and an organization arranged for them to go to Racine, Wisconsin, where the Jewish organization there was happy to accommodate a family. Uh, from there, they wound up in Toledo, Ohio, which they actually, my parents lived there until they died, and my sister and brother-in-law lived there until now. They are now permanent residents of Miami Beach, Florida. You say your book will appeal to all age groups. The young ones will learn that against all adversities, one can succeed with determination. Older readers might be reminded of their own struggles and might admire the spirit of a young immigrant. Well, that is a uh, great, great achievement to be able to express that so much in your book. Well, that's what I wanted to do, and I feel exactly what you just expressed, that it is a good thing for young people who have grown up, most of them anyway nowadays, in in a very comfortable surroundings that they see, even if there are adversities, you can succeed, which I have. On the other hand, you are right, older people will enjoy reading the story of that punky young girl who went through all the the trials and tribulations, and wound up in a wonderful apartment looking out on the ocean and the beach. Well, now you live in uh, Florida, don't you? I live in Balhava, Florida. I'm looking out on the ocean and the beach. It's a wonderful view. Uh, 
my husband and I, after we retired from business, we moved here, unfortunately, passed away 17 years ago. But I have made up my mind that life has to go on as much as I missed him and still miss him today. But that's when I started writing the book and got active in all kinds of different things. And that's important, isn't it, to stay active? Well, that's what I tell people. They say, well, how are you so well at your advanced age? And I think it is by keeping my mind and body occupied. Now, let's go back to when you first met Henry, your husband. Tell us about that. Oh, well, it was love at first sight, really. He was good-looking, charming, impeccably dressed. We had a wonderful, intelligent conversation and right after that, we had three dates, one following after another. However, he was a confirmed bachelor, and he wasn't quite ready to settle down in a marriage, so it took us about six years until we finally knotted the, tied the knot. But we had a wonderful, harmonious marriage. I became his business partner, and uh, we were together 24 hours a day, and I can't remember that we ever had a real argument. What kind of business did you work together? We were international traders. We started out with export shortly after the war when the whole world needed American merchandise and later on switched into imports, particularly special textiles, and I was very active in sales. Now, you started a Jewish girls' school of... What are the details about your Jewish girl school? I didn't start the school. I started my school years there. Actually, it was a, a school for Jewish girls. My mother had come there already. We come, my mother came from a rather conservative background, and the whole family wanted us, the children, to go there too. It actually turned out to be wonderful because when Hitler came to power and the other Jewish girls couldn't go to public schools anymore, they were sent to us and there were strangers there where we grew up in that school. They had the, actually the same curriculum as the other public schools, except that we also learned Hebrew with a, with a reader in first grade and Jewish history. And actually, I was very happy that I had that education. Margot, growing up, you had a great, strong desire to study law and become an attorney. Absolutely. What came of that? Nothing could come of it. I realized at the age of 16 that I never will have the opportunity to study as a Jew in Germany. And therefore, quit school when I was 16 and uh, became an apprentice in a commercial outfit and uh, gave up the idea of ever becoming an attorney. And actually, I was sorry throughout my life, but I made it anyway. What would you say are some of your greatest accomplishments? My greatest accomplishment is I think that I was a good partner in our business, a loving wife to my husband, a loving daughter and sister to my family. Now, when you were very, very young, your mother gave you an assignment about your sister. Tell us about that. Well, my sister was born when I was four years old, 
And when my mother came out of the hospital, she handed me the baby and she says, here's your little sister. I want you to make absolutely sure that you always take good care of her. And my sister has told me again and again that all through our life I have followed that advice. What are some of the more interesting uh, places that you visited that had the greatest impact on you? Well, the most interesting, I would say, was last winter's, one of the most interesting was last winter's trip, a cruise out of Cape Town, uh, the lower part of Africa, with all the small towns and all the different townships and meeting people of different backgrounds. Uh, The other one that I found also extremely interesting was the year before when I took a cruise to India where I covered some of the ports and some of the big cities. I always love to see different countries, learn about different cultures, talk to different people. I find that extremely interesting. Did your husband's accident lead to his passing? Uh, only indirectly. Uh, he, well, he could not walk anymore, really. I mean, he walked a little bit. But he actually died of, uh, of cancer of the liver and pancreas, which is incurable. And uh, well, it was very sad to see him go. Uh, he only suffered for about four weeks never was in the hospital, died in his own bed after only four weeks of suffering. And what happened in the accident? In the accident, he was on a business trip in Germany, and he was on the two-way mountain road, and a little car came in the other direction, overtaking a couple of trucks, and it was two-lane road, and he thought it was going to hit him, so he reared his car to the right and then to the left, and since it was a small opal car, it turned over. And he was fortunate enough, some people saw the accident and helped him to get to, he never lost his consciousness, and he was brought to a hospital, to a neighborhood hospital there, which was rather difficult. And uh, he hurt his back, and he had then had a back operation, which they thought would cure everything, but unfortunately it didn't, and his walking got worse and worse over the years. So we, but we, he was very courageous. We traveled with a wheelchair all over Europe, and he continued to enjoy life. He went to the opera, to the theater, as long as I was there to take care of things. You say the three words that best describe your story, determination, perseverance, and love. We have about a minute left, Margot. Just give us some thoughts about determination, persist, perseverance, and love. And love, right. That is correct. Give us some well, of your closing thoughts. shows that even though I started out in a very low position, I, I went up, I pushed myself up to increase my knowledge and to become a secretary and bookkeeper and later on a partner and successful partner in my husband's business uh, as a part and, and I think perseverance and ambition go very much together and love of course there was the great love always for my family and my departed husband well, Mar- many good friends Margot, tell us how to get your book. Where would we get your book? Well, the book is available at Amazon, 
and it is available at Books and Books is a small book chain here in Miami where I had a book reading, and it's also available at the publisher. Well, we want to thank you, Margot, for being on Author Talk. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for talking to me. That was Margot Young. She is the author of her book, her biography. It's titled A Voyage Through Time. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guests teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the walls never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. It's the code of man Keith and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine, and the show, go to his website, KeithWan.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Chosen, Colossus of Evil. And the author is Christopher Witch. And Christopher joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Steve. Well, this is a fiction action adventure romance fantasy it's got a little bit of everything and i want to read what you have written in general about your book so we get get an overview you say this the chosen colossus of evil is an epic fantasy tale filled with dynamic characters that are ever-changing in development and centered to a medieval setting housing dramatic realism This outlook is enriched into a good-versus-evil, ever-twisting plot that carries to its core a mind-aching truth. Well, that is a mouthful right there. (laughs) There there is a a lot of intrigue and drama and mystery just in that one paragraph. 
We're going to talk about elves and drow, though. Tell us more about the elves and what drow is. All right, Steve. Well, in my book, a lot of people, they know from all of the movies, Lord of the Rings and whatnot, the common version of elves with the shiny blonde hair and pointy ears, and they're real dainty structured character. Well, mine, that are called the drow, are actually a subclass of the main race, kind of inside its own social structure, if you will. And what it involves is they're a race that were had differences in their own thoughts and for that rebelled against the rest of them and kind of were forced underground. And over the course of a lot of years, because of the fact they've got that kind of special power that allows them to live for thousands of years, as a lot of movies and books point out, uh, they've developed a very dark and uh, disposition and a really harsh persona on life. They live underground, their hair changed to white, their skin went pale. Uh, they can come out into the sun and stuff, but they are very a real evil race uh, that kind of has bent on the hatred of everyone that kind of pushed them aside. Give us a general overview of your theme dealing with the three children that, uh, I guess, after their parents die, they go to their uncles to uh, grow up? Uh, yes. What that one was referring to is after their parents were actually, when they died uh, viciously by an evil, they were taken into the guidance and protective custody of their uncle, which is actually part of a fashion group that is trying to rebuild their tattered name that the actual drow clan has provided for them. So their uncle is a part of a group that is trying to rebuild uh, the lost, terrible kind of history that the drow created for themselves and want to one day get back up and kind of rejoin the rest of the world. They want to earn their good name back. So what are the issues that are at stake here? Well, there's actually a number of them. Uh, Probably too many to mention for how deep my book is at this time. But the main ones are an issue of the three children are kind of sent off in this book uh, to kind of grow up on one another. They're hunted by so many at this moment, the ones that killed their parents and the ones that are actually trying to get rid of this drill faction that has been created in its own society. Uh, they're sent off to kind of grow off each other in a city filled with humans. And they only did it because it'd be a last place anyone would look. And throughout it, they kind of, they just get into a lot of different kind of problems like personal acceptance, their sibling rivalry, and eventually they start making relationships that also causes problems. Now you talk about this colossus evil of... And obviously, there's got to be some very, very uh, wicked villains in this. Uh, what makes the... Why are these villains so evil? Well, uh, for starters, Steve, my Colossus of Evil title is actually uh, a play on words. Colossus is the name of the lead evil character that actually killed these children's parents. And through it... When he's trying to be bent on a little bit of, well, shall we say ethnic cleansing, I guess, of anyone who's ever gotten into his way, he develops allies of other powerful evil beings and kind of forms a coalition in my book 
neither one of them ever trust each other, but they are all working for the same goal to get what they want. They just need each other's help to get it. You have written some uh, descriptions of your book, uh, messages that are in your book, themes. One of them is the harshness of narrow-minded viewing. Now, tell us about that. Well, what I have written for that one, Steve, is a little bit, I've got certain characters, actually, they all have a certain point of view, each one of those three main children. And one of them, they all have such a narrow-minded view that it actually clashes with each other in them trying to protect and actually grow and survive on each other because of the fact that they've got such unique perspectives about what the world has brought upon them. The middle brother is... Well, he's very narrow-minded. He's really having a hard time accepting the fact that humans would even accept him, and he gets into a bunch of problems himself up in that city. Uh, their little sister is very naive and will believe almost anybody, and the oldest one, the brother, is a very protective of the family and almost doesn't let them do anything. So with their narrow-mindedness, it's causing major, major problems. Now, who is the main character, your strongest character? I would believe my strongest character, if it was up to me, uh, for my own opinion, would be Rain, who's the middle brother. And the only reason I say that is because of the fact that I have put him through almost the hardest part of this book. He's fighting inner demons with trying to accept the fact that he's changing and trying to better himself. And at the same time, he still holds a massive hatred for the world for not even allowing some of them to believe that some of the Israel could change. So he just kind of won't allow anyone to get into his heart and try to help him out. He thinks he's got to do it on himself. But over that, I do believe he becomes the strongest. But he also has a strong ally in uh, Elaine. Is that how you pronounce that? Um, actually, it's Ilani. Ilani. Well, of course not, anyways. <laughs> Tell us about Ilani. She is uh, very much the same as Rain and very much different. She's kind of his counterpart in the city, and when you read through the book, they meet, they hate each other at first sight because of the fact they are so strong, narrow-minded, almost on the same topics that they constantly are bickering, and they eventually, throw my book, get more involved with each other in a partnership than they ever like. They're busy trying to help each other out at the same time uh, by trying to kind of clean up the city. Uh, Alani is a marshal, kind of like a law warden in the city itself, trying to help it out. And Rain is a very smart person when it comes to tactics and wants to help her, but at the same time feels that she's always in his way and he's always in her way. And Now you talk about becoming evil, but you also... Uh, take it to another level. You talk about the transition on becoming evil. What is this transition? Well, the transition that I refer to in this book is quite different than most of them. Most of these ones, they've born, been born into a world that's harsh, or they've been kind of like abused as they were children. This transition is a little bit of, I guess, absolution in the way. And the reason I say that is because... The main evil in this was not subdued by just raw evil. He was actually uh, just a natural thinker, and 
he got so absolute that he wanted everyone to believe only his point of view, that anyone that ever said any difference, he was almost bent on destroying. So I say that kind of, that transition to evil, because it's not necessarily an evil act that will generally cause someone to be evil. It can be a perfectly good person that just is too heartfelt on their own opinions and can be devastating. The importance of personal opinions is very critical to your story as well. Yes, it is. Uh, for a lot of them, uh, trying to get their point across seems to be actually quite hard for a lot of them in book, which creates actually a lot of the conflict. And when they get so personal on the level in this book, uh, sometimes it just gets into outright fights and rebellious acts, and sometimes it's harder to put it back together. So what are these three children, uh, who are the main, well, the rain is one of them, uh, what are they trying to achieve? What is the, what is, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, the ultimate goal, actually, Steve, in my book, is they're not really, they, they grow up and they're basically just trying to survive. They don't even want any conflict, really, as you read. All they basically want is to uh, grow up and actually kind of basically just grow up. But the evil that is hunting them, uh, that they're being targeted for, won't really give them that chance. And the only chance that they have is to grow up strong enough to almost defeat these evils if they can, for the sole reason of just trying to stay alive and exist. You say the one thing, or the one thing that you want readers to uh, learn from your book is that goals, no matter the size, all need to be earned on someone's own ambition. I do say that, and I mean, I, I almost live by that in my own kind of life. I just, I believe that nothing should ever come for free, and no one should accept stuff for free and take it for granted, kind of thing. And in this book, I put my poor characters through challenge after challenge, and even when they've proven themselves, they're still not getting what they deserve. But when they finally do, I have them hang on to it so tightly because it's all they've ever gotten and all the gratitude that they've ever been shown. And I just kind of really try to point that out that in almost any world, it would be better if a lot of people, I think, acted like that. Well, you're teaching self-reliance, right? I do believe so. I try, anyway. And how, and the importance of that? Yes, uh, a lot of them, they throughout the book, and in everything, the self-reliance is, uh, some of the situations I have them as they're alone or they're in with the situation of, with a person that has no idea what's going on, and they need to only be able to use and utilize what they have been trained and shown to basically survive in certain instances. Ever coming around to this book was basically I was sitting down with my wife and seen a couple movies in that and kind of just pointed out, I'm like, I don't think that's right. I think it should be like this. And finally, she got fed up after a couple of them and said, well, if you think you can do it so good, why don't you go on the computer and write one yourself? And it was right at that spot that the light bulb went on in my mind. And I'm like, well, maybe I will. <laughs> you were dared to do it, and you're just the type of person to take on the dare. 
And I didn't even know, I generally am not that kind of person, but in this instance, I guess my emotions and my heartfelt got ahead of me. Well, there must be a character here that's similar to you in the book. Oh, I hate to admit it, Steve, but probably Rain would be the closest one to me. He's got battered, and I batter myself all the time in my own mind, so... (laughs) Well, is this the beginning of a series or more books? Actually, this is book one of three. It is actually a trilogy story written into three books, but it is all one continuing story. All right. So the, what will, have you already started writing uh, the second part? Oh, I've actually written and published all three parts. I did them all at once, and I actually have the sequel sitting on the back burner here. All right. What's the name of that one? The name of that one is going to be The Chosen When Worlds Collide. When Worlds Collide. Yes. So are, are the same characters involved? Uh, most of them. I don't want to give away because there is some tragedy in my first one. But for the most part, I keep all the same ones alive, and it's uh, based on a later time. So there's some new ones as well. Well, Christopher, tell us how to get your book. Well, there's a number of different ways. You can contact Author House directly through uh, the phone. I don't have the number at the moment, or through their website. And I have my own website as well, and that one is titled, uh, you can go to www.thechosenchronicles, all one word, dot C-A. Well, we appreciate you being with us very much on Author Talk. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It was good to be here. That was Christopher Wytowich, and he is the author of his book, The Chosen, Colossus of Evil. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes, and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Cooper's Adventures. 
Facing Our Fears. And the author is Tracy Barrickman. And Tracy joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Tracy. Good morning. Well, good to have you with us. And this is a very well-done children's book uh, to really get to an issue where kids and sometimes even adults have a hard time with uh, just our natural fears, especially when a loved one is gone for a long period of time. And so I want to read this. Uh, You say Cooper's Adventures is going to appeal to families with young children that are relocated or parents that have to spend time away from home to earn a living. It targets military families because of their situation. So in this case, we're dealing with your son, Sergeant mm-hmm. Frank, mm-hmm. who everybody calls Scooter. I don't know if Sergeant <laughs> wants to deal with that one. I doubt if anybody in the Army knows that. <laughs> Probably not. No, probably not. And his little son, Cooper, who's how old? Uh, Cooper's uh, four years old. Four years old. And, of course, uh, I'm sure as the grandmother and as the author, your part just breaks when little Cooper gets afraid. Yep, yep, it does. Well, tell us uh, how what started all this motivation to write this book. Well, he, uh, of course, uh, my son is in the Army and uh, re-enlisted a few years ago. And, and the last time he re-enlisted, of course, at that time he had his, his family. By that time he had, had it, well, his first son, Cooper. It was hard enough when he left the first time as a single man, but when he left and took his family, that was a little more than Grandma could take. And just missing Cooper and thinking about him all the time. You know, I spent spent quite a bit of time with him before he left, and and just having him gone so much, I really I missed him. I just missed him terribly, and that was, you know, just thinking about just thinking about his um, his little adventures. You know, how I perceive his adventures is is what motivated me to to start writing about him. It helped dealing with my own my own feelings of uh, missing him. Your own emotions that you're feeling right now. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell? Everyone, Tracy is having a hard time. So she told me that this uh, this might happen, and it is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. Let's see. Uh, You also say that a military parent has a less likely chance of returning home than a regular business person, and their time away from home is typically longer. So... Obviously, that's on your mind as the mom. And then, of course, uh, uh, Sergeant Frank's wife, uh, Cooper's mother, uh, you know, that's in the back of your mind, I'm sure, somewhere. Mm -hmm. And Cooper probably doesn't understand that, that his dad might not come home, but Mm -hmm. he's just gone for a long time. Does, Does he, when do you remember him asking, where's my dad? I I don't because his first year, he was pretty young, and... Uh, his well, his first birthday, it, it was the norm. I mean, his dad being gone and having to communicate with his dad um, using the internet was was normal for Cooper. He's just, because his dad left when he was so young and he was gone the first year of his life, um, and so that was just kind of a norm. You know, his first birthday was spent celebrating. You know, having a big party and everybody was there. Uncle Uncle Travis was there, but Daddy was on the internet, and I think for the first year or so of his life, he thought Daddy was just a computer. <laughs> you get to see him on a big big screen somewhere, right? 
Well, in your book, Cooper tells Mommy it scared him when Daddy was gone, and then Mommy uh, takes Cooper's little hand in hers and helps him. And what does she say to him? In the book, she tells him that it's it's okay to be afraid. People people do get scared. Even even adults get scared. And and she told Cooper that even even Daddy gets scared sometimes. And um, but um, so that's normal. You just have to work through it. And you, uh, she told him, and and she told him, you know, the way she deals with it when, you know, um, when when she gets scared is, you know, hold my hand and. Well, she told him, you know, hold my hand, and and we'll think about Daddy, and and uh, we'll feel better. Well, he has a great time going to the beach with his little cousin. Tell us about this adventure. <laughs> um, it was just a, it was a typical family outing with um, with family, you know, uh, grandparents and and uh, his little cousin. They were going to go to the beach, and mommy, of course, Daddy was gone, and. So they were going to go to the beach and uh, play on the beach. They had a picnic, had a wonderful time, bright, sunny day. And um, as the children were playing along the beach, they um, something washed up on the beach in front of them. And it was a giant, monstrous-looking thing. And, and it scared them, and it scared Leah, his little cousin. And, and she... Um, she started. She almost started to cry. She was so scared, and and he looked at her. And when he saw how scared she was, she, um, you know, he told her, "Well, don't be scared. Hold hold my hand. You know, he, I'll, I'll hold your hand, Leah, and don't be scared." And and so she took his hand, and she says, "You're right. I do feel better." And about that time, mommy comes up and saves the day, and says, "Oh, it's just a it's just a starfish. You know, nothing to be afraid of." And and. Uh, the the children felt better just just having each other and holding hands and and uh, uh, realizing that nothing was really happening to them at that time and, and then mommy come up and everything was better. Is that a true story? No. <laughs> well, it sounds like it could have been. It's a great it's a great little story. Yeah. It's believable. I thought maybe it happened. No, no, uh, <laughs> no. The stories come from I don't know just just little bits and pieces of things that I watch the children. I have um, I have three granddaughters here that live in Alaska, and and uh, one of them is close in age. She's no a uh, year older than than Cooper, and um, she um, Cameron. They they played a lot before he left here, and and I watched them a lot, and just just little things that. That I watched Cooper and Cameron do, and just their little antics is what really helped um, create these stories in my mind. Well, your story is about children overcoming fears, but you do it in a way that you call the characters smart, silly, and fun. So that's a great way to deal with could, what could be such a negative. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to, I tried to write the story and you know, interject the, the lesson in there, but I didn't want to dwell on on just negative stuff because it is a children's story. So, yeah, I tried to, to make, um, make the characters fun. Facing Our Fears is the first in a series of children's books that you're writing. Uh, now, are the rest of them going to have the same theme? The series is called Cooper's Adventures, and then each one will be a little bit different. Of course, the first one there is Facing Our Fears, 
The second one that I've uh, I've already written and it's ready to go to my publisher is called Leaving Home, and it's when Daddy, you know, first when when Cooper's Daddy first gets gets his orders, and they actually have to leave Alaska and leave home and family and that sort of you know what what Cooper was used to, and so that's what the second story is about. I have three others that I've started. And uh, so they're going to follow. They're just going to be little lessons. Not all of them are going to be about fear. The second one, leaving home, is is really is really going to be specific to the military because it's getting orders, having to leave home, and you know, dad leaving and that sort of thing. And great colorful pictures. Yes, the the artist did a wonderful job. Really did. Uh, it's, you know, very important, obviously, in the children's books. To have those colorful pictures. The title of the book, Cooper's Adventures Facing Our Fears. Uh, you have a website. I do. Coopersadventures.com. Coopersadventures.com. Mm-hmm. And where can we get the book, Tracy? Uh, you can find it. Uh, you can order it at Cooper's, on coopersadventures.com. It's also on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on Author Talk. Well, thank you. It was uh, it was nice speaking with you. That was Tracy Barrickman. She is the <laughs> author of her children's series, the first in her series called Cooper's Adventures Facing Our Fears.